Well, I, I thank you, sir, uh, for taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, sit oh, down. Sure. And, uh... yeah, real busy. No, <laughs> thanks for the thanks for getting the the film. You know, we can talk. I guess we should save it and talk about it. But uh, I really uh, appreciated you liking, you know, looking at it and getting it and liking it. So. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. sure. You know, you know um, it's funny. Uh, shot on video was stuff that I didn't quite look at too much in my younger years. Um, but my friend turned me on to the uh, genre and, and just opened up the door. And I, I, you know, he introduced me to like video violence and, and all of these yeah, like yeah. 90s, uh, you know, shot on video films. And then I, I caught up with uh, the head of the shot on video horror and he sent me a few in the spirit gallery. He, he sent me that for a screener to review and I watched it. And I tell you, I was, I was impressed. I'm like, Oh, Wow, I'm like this is yeah, this is yeah, a... yeah. Thanks. I mean, you know, it's it it sort of holds up. Um, you know, Tony's a great guy, you know, mm -hmm. to to be doing this. But um, that's a that's a whole story about that why, why I shot it on video and everything. Mm -hmm. um, kind of got to go back in time a bit because uh, just briefly, you know, sure. my, my background is uh, like I said uh, from Joliet. Uh, went to school at uh, Columbia College in Chicago, mm -hmm. and I kind of got. Um, into filmmaking because, um, well, you know, uh, I went to, I went to this Catholic high school back there <laughs> and, uh, strangely enough, one of the films they showed, you know, like for, I don't know what class it was, but they showed Citizen Kane oh, nice. on a 16 millimeter projector. And everybody has that as a starting point, I think, mm -hmm. you know, and you're, you're kind of blown away because for the first time you realize there's somebody directing movies behind this stuff, you know, so, you know, the style of it. So then, then a few things happen where, like, um, you know, at, at that point, uh, like Eraserhead uh, uh, mm -hmm. was just starting to play, uh, you know, nighttime, midnight theater runs. And um, in Chicago, they had this place called, uh, they might still do, called the Three Penny Cinema. And it was a perfect place to see this movie. Well, actually, you know, it's, it, it was funny because... I went to see Eraserhead. No, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting some things mixed up. I went no, to we okay. actually went to see Freaks. Oh, nice! <laughs> and but before the before the movie, they showed uh, Unchian Andalou, you know, mm -hmm. the the well and Salvador Dali surreal short, and that blew me away. You know, I mean, because you know, being raised Catholic and that has all sorts of Catholic stuff in it, and then I became this huge fan of Bunuel. To me, he's like the god. You mm -hmm. know. And um, so that got us started making like little short, goofy eight millimeter silent movies, you know, like um, <laughs> we shot one in, uh, in the, in the boiler room of our, of our high school called boiler room blasphemy. <laughs> it was like a Frankenstein takeoff because it had all these pipes and sure. steam and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then we did another one called uh, about a vampire called uh, Der Blutegel and it was, which means the leech in mm -hmm. German. And um, uh, it was like the vampire. It was about a story of uh, the vampire has like this house and his uh, his toilet is broken. <laughs> <laughs> so you know it, it, the Harker character becomes like this toilet repair man, <laughs> and then he discovers that um, the vampire lives in uh, in his trunk in a in the garage in a car. Mm -hmm. But to escape, he turns into a frisbee. <laughs> <It> just, <laughs> 
I lost the only print of that movie, and it, it, it was really it was really kind of funny and kind of kind of well made for the thing. So anyway, you know, you start making mm -hmm. out the and, and and it's kind of sad today, I think, because um, you know people getting into movies today they they don't have to go through the process of film history mm -hmm. because back then you didn't have really sync sound film, so you started out as a silent movie maker. And you know you learn you kind of learn the ropes about the visuals and and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so then anyway, that that got me started. I wanted to make film, so I I went uh, I went to Chicago to go to this place called Columbia College, mm -hmm. which Chicago has like three main things. They they have the Art Institute and they had Northwestern College or University and uh, then Columbia College, and they all had good film programs, but Columbia use people that were like working professionals. Mm. So I thought I, I wasn't really concerned about the arty farty part of it. <laughs> I, I wanted to learn the technical side of it, you know, because it, because back then it was, it was, it was kind of tough. I mean, the minute you to actually be able to sync sound to a film, mm -hmm. it was a, <laughs> it's a big moment in your life, you know, it's these tiny strips of 16 millimeter and all this kind of stuff. And um, so, so then, yeah, then when I was in school, um, that's when Eraserhead came out mm -hmm. in like 1976 or something like that. And uh, it was one of the most amazing experiences because I went to the Three Penny Cinema to see that. And it was like a perfect place to see it because it was it was totally black. It was a small theater. Sure. It was like going into like a womb or something, you know. <laughs> and people didn't know what this movie was at all. So mm -hmm. it, it was the most, it was the weirdest experience. And I still remember it um, because you had like these rowdy Chicago guys and they thought it was complete bullshit, mm -hmm. you know, and they were just laughing at it and like, oh, what's this? But by the end of it, they were mesmerized. <laughs> the power of this movie just completely silenced everybody. And you're like, like, oh, what the hell is this you now? And um, so that was uh, like a, like a major influence too, because mm -hmm. in, in a way, Eraserhead is like the ultimate student film. Because mm. back then, at least uh, everybody made a, every student film where there were always a lot of student films that were, were shot in somebody's bedroom. <laughs> yeah. You know, and they're depressed and whatever, you know, and and like that's that's kind of the ultimate one. Um, so in Chicago, you know, started making movies and um, I, I wanted to to make stuff that, you know, you could kind of tr try to sell somehow, you know, sure. and I remember like, um, you know, back then there were like uh, like, you know, like you would have uh, film adaptations of short stories for mm. literature classes. So I just went to like uh, people that I really liked. And my my one of my main guys was H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. Sure. And there was a short story called uh, "The Music of Eric Zahn," which was fairly easy to shoot because it was like two or three characters, mm. you know, a mm -hmm. uh, little location. So did that, and that film is still that, that was made back in like 1980, and it's still alive. I mean, it's like it's getting a new release. <laughs> Um, it started a film festival called the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, which we can talk about a little bit. But um, it just got a new 2K transfer, and um, and it it was shot with uh, one of my uh, you know my fellow students there is a guy named Mike Goy, and you may not know the name, but if he 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 directs like every TV show out here right now. <laughs> I mean, he uh, he's an incredible cinematographer, and at the mm -hmm. time there was um, 
a movie called uh, Days of Heaven, if you remember the Terrence Malick movie. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was shot by Nestor Almendros, and it was done with natural light. And it just kind of blew us away. And Eric Zahn is set in like 1888 or whatever. So we had like these fake oil lamps and that the practical light was everything lighting the set. And it's just this incredible looking movie, you know, because of it. So that got me kind of a scholarship from William Freakin, who's from Chicago. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. And uh, that... um, then I made another, uh, and oh, by the way, I did get it in distribution, but, you know, because people didn't really know Lovecraft that well. Right. So I thought, well, I'll try to do a bigger author. And so I went with another one of my favorite guys, um, Franz Kafka. Hmm. And we did an adaptation called um, a Hunger Artist with the money I got from Freakin. And, and that got into distribution. And that's getting a, a new release. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a thing with a friend of mine named Jay Wolfel, who... Um, worked a lot for Charlie band and, and he has a, a movie out right now um, called uh, asylum of darkness, which you can see on uh, you know, like Amazon. You should look at it. I think you'll like it, but he's made a lot of, of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, but he started out making short films too. So he did a adaptation of a Nathaniel Hawthorne, a short story called the birthmark. And also one for a, a Guy Mapazant movie called uh, he, so we're combining these three movies and we're going to release it as a, a thing called Twisted Lit. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> because every it has a twist and it's sure. kind of twisted stories and all that kind of stuff. Um, so anyway, from from those student films and uh, then kind of did some professional like editing for because Chicago was a big, um, uh, you know, a commercial city mm-hmm. for TV commercials. So we had, we had a finishing house and um then, but you know, Chicago, you can only do back then, you could really just do commercials, and I wasn't right. really interested in that. So, trying to get out to LA, and uh, I thought, oh, wait, William Freakin produced Hunger Artist, I have an in. <laughs> so, I thought, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sure, and you know, he um, so came out here, and I was trying to write him letters, and because he never saw the movie, you know, and, sure. and it, it's won awards, and it's, it's a good movie, and everything, so um came out here to LA and um, my ex-wife was working at, at, at a studio. I, I, I forget which studio, but he had an office there and um, she just walked into his office and, and laid, you know, the thing down on his desk and he's going, Oh yeah. How's John doing? He's reading like variety or <laughs> sure. something. He's not doing anything. And he still didn't look at it. So that, <laughs> that was, that's, that's Hollywood. You yeah. Know? But it did get me uh, a job on um, tales from the dark side. So nice. I, I became like a staff director on that. And that, that was the progression of getting the first, uh, you know, real kind of professional, uh, you know, uh, gig. Sure. Yeah. I saw that you had directed a number of uh, Tales from the Dark Side episodes, which I, I loved that show uh, when it came out. I mean, we had, you had that run of like anthology type uh, shows making a resurgence again during that time. I mean, Tale from the Dead. did, yeah. They were reviving Twilight Zone and Alfred Hitchcock and mm-hmm. uh, and Spielberg had amazing stories that all happened around like the mid 80s. Um, and it was fun because, you know, each, each episode was like a little short film, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Dark Side was real low budget, though. I mean, it was <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, we shot, we shot in this place called Boyle Heights, which. Mm-hmm. 
it's not a good part of town. <laughs> and it was, you know, it was like an industrial park. Sure. And um, it was it was this old, uh, like, mattress factory. <laughs> so they had all these, like, moldy mattresses, and we used it for sound, you know, buffering yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But it was so funny because um, on the stage, uh, the the pipes that went to the bathroom... <laughs> was directly over the sound stage so if somebody flushed the toilet <laughs> you had to stop because you heard all this water going <laughs> over your head God. your poor but, your you poor know, sound you, guy it, it was, yeah you know well on a sound stage you're, you're supposed to have control of the sound right <laughs> you know, like, that's the whole point of it and uh when somebody flushing a toilet you know, but um but you know, it was it was fun. I mean, mm-hmm. I I always thought I always thought the scripts were kind of crappy, but um, you know, just my my mainly I'm made me I'm mad because nobody there could you know it it was like bicoastal. Half was shot in uh, I think New Jersey, mm-hmm. and the other half out here because it was Richard Rubenstein who was like a partner of um, uh, you know George Romero, right? Yeah. And and Romero had originally done it as a pilot for NBC, I think, or CBS, you know, mm-hmm. kind of big. And um, they didn't like it, but they they had paid for it. So he so he had this pilot, you know. And at the time, um, it was like in, in television they were doing. It was like the first kind of wave of syndication. Mm-hmm. So you could produce your own show and get it syndicated. You didn't have to have a big studio behind you because, believe me, this was not a big studio, <laughs> you know. But you know, it ran for like uh, four seasons, you know. So, and, and I still see people, you know, talking about it, and uh, so it was kind of a granddaddy of that uh, of a low budget <laughs> side of it, I suppose. You know? Well, but you got a chance to cut your teeth too, right? On on it. And... Yeah, it, it it was fun, and and it was like. You know, it was like when you're doing a student film, uh, you don't have a schedule really. Mm-hmm. You know, like like a racer head took lunch like four or five years, right? To make, and suddenly when you're in a like in a professional thing, you're you got a you got a schedule, mm-hmm. and and those things were like shot in four days. You know, <laughs> so it was. Of course, they were like only like you know like twenty, yeah, they... twenty three minutes or something like that. But you were still doing like, um, I don't know, like like ten pages a day or something like that, or yeah. sometimes, you know. And um, then, then depending on your effects work too, I'm sure, because I mean, it being a... yeah, you know, we yeah, because that was all that was before digital, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and it was all practical. So that was kind of fun because I got to do one episode where um, it's called a new lease on life, and it's about this apartment become coming alive and like eating its occupants. Oh, nice. You know? <laughs> And uh, so the the apartment goes crazy and like uh, everything starts threatening him like a, like a ceiling fan explodes and tries to chop his head off and stuff. And we got to do a, a forced perspective thing. It's something I always read about. And so, you know, it's like, it was like a miniature in, in front and, you know, sure. you had to line them up and stuff. Um, I also did a, a couple, uh, like a season of uh, the revived uh, Land of the Lost. Yeah, I, I saw yeah. that. That I, yeah. I I had forgotten that they had revived it until I uh, saw that it was listed that you had done those. And then I remember seeing yeah, a few ABC of the shows. Yeah. yeah, and that was like the old style uh, effects mm-hmm. too with uh, the Kyoto Brothers who did um, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. 
my, my wife loves that movie. It's a great film, it actually. Is. I really like it, too. It's very... It's, it's extremely sick, but... Uh, <laughs> it's entertaining. But it's clowns. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I... I, I, what I liked about the 90s Land of the Lost was it did feel like the 70s show because I saw them when I was a kid. They were, had them on syndication on like the independent channels and that, and I watched it, and it was really an unusual children's show, and I think you caught that <laughs> same spirit with the 90s revival. It kind of surprised yeah. me. Well, one of, one of the problems we had, though, with that... Oh, I was going to say, because well, the guys who were like the the writers mm-hmm. and the producers of it. Um, well, it, it was like, you know, Sid and Marty Croft, the sure. original guys who did all those shows, you know, uh, they were the executive producers, but they hired these two guys and I blanked their names out, but mm-hmm. you know, they, um, they wrote cartoons, right? Mm-hmm. And like in a cartoon, you can write anything. I mean, it's like, <laughs> all right, the mountain explodes and lava, you know, and they would write this stuff for this tiny low budget, kids show you know we'd have to try to come up with these effects and again it was like a four-day shoot Mm -hmm. and then the first season they didn't know how they couldn't they were the the scripts were too short so you would shoot everything (laughs) and you still had five minutes left so they were constantly adding stuff and you know and we were all working for like no money but we wanted to do something good so we were you know trying to to write but it did have um the star of that was timothy bottoms Mm -hmm. You know, he's a great actor. I mean, going back to like the last picture show, and uh, I was amazed that he was in this show. You know, I mean, it's nothing show, and and to see this really first-rate actor, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you know, but it, it's, I mean, it's all it's all kind of fun, and and being on a set is, you know, the most fun you can have with your clothes on, as the old, yeah. <laughs> as the old <laughs> saying goes. When everything, you know, I mean, it's a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of work too, but we. We got to set, we got to shoot on like, um, you know, like, uh, like those, uh, those sets where a lot of Westerns were, were shot, you know, sure. with those weird rocks and, mm-hmm. and Star Trek and all that. And we did an episode there and, but it was kind of cool because they added the, uh, dinosaurs later, mm-hmm. uh, you know, by, you know, just by actually physically animating these things, these puppets, um, so some, and they still do it. Like a guy would have a ball, you know, because this is where the head is, and you know, everybody's got to react to it and stuff. I was good. So you were shooting plates and stuff. So that yeah. that was another kind of neat thing, old time Hollywood stuff, you know. Yeah, I was going to ask how you would know where the dinosaur was, and if you knew ahead of time where it was going to be. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so you you did a lot of this work. So what uh, what brought about the idea for the Spirit Gallery? Right. Well, the Spear Gallery, you know, it was, um, I had done, um, after Dark Side and all these, like, lo- these little TV shows, uh, mm-hmm. went back to Chicago to do a feature with uh, the people that I made, um, you know, Hunger Artists and uh, Music of Eric Zahn with. And um, I had wanted to do, like, a like a horror thing, because I thought mm-hmm. that would be marketable and everything. But um, they wanted to do something a little bit more artistic and serious. And we made a good film, but it was just it's called uneasy silence. And then it was called Sam and Sarah. And it, it, it was about, it was sort of like a love story between two homeless people, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, the Sam character is like this returning Vietnam vet and he's got all these problems. And Sarah's like this woman that barely talks because she survived a, a fire and all this kind of stuff. So it was, a, it was kind of a love story between those two. 
And, um, you know, I, I wanted to do, I, after that, I wanted to do another feature and I had run into some money and I, I it was a combination of a couple things. Cause, um, I had gotten involved out here in the eighties with this, this kind of visionary guy. I mean, his name was John Doerr mm -hmm. and he started a thing called, um, uh, easy TV. And his thing was that he thought anybody should be able to make a feature for nothing, you know, on videotape. And, but sure. this was like in 1980. So the, the, the technology was like these big cumbersome mm -hmm. three quarter inch, you know, kind of cameras and, and, uh, and, in a linear editing system. So you couldn't go, <laughs> it was <laughs> yep. ridiculous. I mean, I, I mean, cutting spirit gallery was, was like that. It was absolutely insane because you, it, it was, you had to go just kept going. It was almost like live cutting, you know, but anyway, uh, because, because that existed and I knew I could, you know, cut it there and get some of the equipment and I had run into uh, inherited a, a little bit of money and I always wanted to, I had a lot of friends like up in San Francisco and just wanted to see what it was like to live there. <laughs> really? <laughs> sure. So decided to shoot it there. So, um, and, and, you know, I, I was just like kind of kicking around with this idea. It, it's sort of like, um, you know, the picture of Dorian Gray, but kind of in reverse, mm -hmm. you know, in, in, a, in a sense. And, um, and that the guy who did the physical, weird mutation effects uh, rod matsui uh met him at easy tv oh okay and easy tv was kind of ahead of its time too because um they had done something called uh, dark romances mm -hmm. and um it was it was going to be on the playboy channel because it was like erotic <laughs> horror thing sure you know and um but it <laughs> it was just another one of these things where the guy who was producing it and he's a good friend of mine named mark shepherd uh, he just got obsessed with it, you know, and he couldn't, he couldn't stop shooting. So I had co-written, uh, an episode with him, uh, called the black veil. Right. Mm -hmm. And it, it was sort of like, it was like a grand, you know, setting and everything. And all these were supposed to be a half hour and his turned into almost two hours because <laughs> <laughs> he just kept shooting it. He wouldn't sure. stop, you know, it, it did have like, um, because he was good friends with, because uh, Mark was a character. I mean, he knew a lot of people out here. Um, he had, as a kid, he had, um, he had, he had submitted a story to the old Batman TV show mm -hmm. that got, it didn't get produced, but it got picked for some kind of contest. So he started making all these contacts and um, uh, he was good friends with a scream queen called Brink Stevens. Oh yeah, Brink. Know, Brink. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So Brink is like the hostess. Of, mm -hmm. of this dark romances, you know, and she's, she's in every one. Some, sometimes she has a big part. Sometimes she's just, you know, introducing it. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, that was, you know, I guess it was, it has a weird look because Mark had, had this obsession with putting a bunch of filters, you know, on, on front of the camera lenses. <laughs> sure. So it's real diffuse and it doesn't really look like video, but it doesn't look like film. Mm -hmm. It's like this kind of in between thing. And uh, unfortunately, he died fairly young, and uh, his, uh, you know, his kind of girlfriend. I don't think they were married, but you know, Pat, her name is Pat Miller. Um, she keeps threatening to put it out on a DVD, <laughs> but she never does. I, I sure. would. I, I think. I think it would. I think people would still like it. Oh. but that when you when you yeah. talk about shot on video horror, that's mm -hmm. 
the epitome of it because it's all video. Right. It was all shot at Easy TV. Uh, so I kind of fell into you know that kind of crowd, you know, and um, that's what kind of led to Spirit Gallery because I thought I could do it, you know, fairly cheaply mm -hmm. on uh, on videotape, and you know the the technology was a little better, you know. Um, and wanted to do it up in in San Francisco too, so it has, you know, it it has a a, a nice look from for the San Francisco. I try to use you know exteriors and and mm -hmm. um, and the other reason of San Francisco was uh, when I was back in Chicago, um, uh, knew this guy named Frank Garvey, and Frank Garvey was this kind of mad, you know, all the paintings in the movie. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask his. him. Oh, those were his. Yeah. Okay, I was going to ask yeah, where those it, came from because those were amazing. Huge. I know they really are, and. Um, they're huge. I mean, they're wall-sized paintings. He called it the Wall of Ashes. But he was, he was. Oh, the, like I mentioned, how the Art Institute was one of the film schools up there in I mean, in Chicago. And he was he was making these just real weird, surreal videos. Like he would take, um, he would take like, uh, you know, like uh, bones from animals, like oh, from sure. cows or whatever. And in the in the openings, he would stick little tiny video monitor so it looked like people were inside these bones you know and i don't know what they were about but you know they, they were like they, they were like his paintings you know because sure. he he, he's into like all this you know organic but anyway he he had moved to uh san francisco and i i didn't know it at the time but i remember walking around san francisco and i see um you know like a handbill on mm -hmm. a you know on a, a thing and uh, I immediately recognized one of his paintings on it because he opened this thing called Omni Circus. So he was putting on shows. Sure. And he, he, was, he was building these bizarre robots. So he was up there too. So through him, uh, that's how I got Jim Burkhart, who was uh, who you know plays the artist mm -hmm. in, in Spirit Gallery. So I was kind of writing it for these people too because I knew what they could do, you know. And um, yeah, and you know, you know, I thought it you know worked out pretty good. I mean, it's just. And it was, it just took a long time to do it because shooting it, I think we shot like, it was like a 20 day shoot. So that went fairly good. Although there was a lot of problems with it, obviously. <laughs> oh, and also Jim had, um, uh, he worked for this guy who owned all that, like he owned that factory space that we shot in. I was going to ask about the factory space. Cause I like sitting there going, they've actually got a crane. He's he, oh, yeah, I know. a working crane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Garvey, Garvey was doing these videos again. He was he called it Wall of Ashes, you know, mm -hmm. based on his paintings, and he, and that's when I first saw this uh, this factory setting. I just thought, man, that's got to use that, <laughs> you know, because it's so visual, <laughs> and um, so all that all that stuff was there and mm -hmm. office spaces and, and and things like that, and um, and also it wasn't Hollywood, you know. I right. mean, to them it was. You know, here it's so, eh, you know, you're doing a low budget feature. Nobody cares. Up there was like a little big, bigger deal, you mm -hmm. know. Um, so that, that's sort of how that came about, you know. And um, I mean, it just, I, I think I, I got it distributed through something. I can't remember even the, <laughs> the name of it was, but it was on, you know, it was on, uh, it was on videotape, you know. Right. And, um, and then again, I mentioned my, my friend Jay Wolfel. Who uh, were doing this, you know, this wicked lit with, and um, he had known about Tony. Um, mm. That Tony was doing these shot on video, and I thought, wait a minute, I got something shot on video. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it, it's surprising that he liked it because you know his the stuff he usually 
does it's it's a it's a little more hardcore. It's it's a little you know, more grind exploitation type stuff. Yeah, yeah grind exploitation. Yeah. yeah, but but you know, but people respond to it. You mm-hmm. know, so. Well, that's that's what got me with it because I think you know, the the grind exploitation stuff and that that uh, Tony is is distributing, which some of it is a lot of a lot of fun for those, uh, but that's yeah. kind of more the reputation for shot on video. But that's what I liked about yours is I was I was watching it, and. It had some of that feel, but you didn't actually go all the way there. A lot of it was implied and stuff because your story with uh, the guy using the artist to basically go into a fantasy world to that was safe for him, pretty much kind of like, you know, uh, 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 sadomasochism type of yeah, yeah. scenario for the guy. But he was exploiting the artist, but you never go full you leave some things to the imagination did you kind of do that on purpose did you want to play oh, yeah, with that to yeah, leave? De- definitely i mean and it's all the whole thing about like you know what what really is art i mean mm-hmm. a lot of it was because of being friends with garby who was a serious artist sure but basically <laughs> he was a weird dude because you know he was like he was serious about that and he came from a very artistic background his father was named john garvey and he was a big musician because the other part of his thing was he, he was a really good drummer and, mm. and writes music and stuff but his father directed the university of illinois jazz band oh nice which is a big deal and, yeah. he, and he worked with um you know like harry parch when he was mm-hmm. there and you know and uh uh elliot i don't know if you know elliot carter you know he's a famous composer and uh, uh he was you know garvey's father was uh a violist you oh, know, so okay. he's part of a quartet that mm-hmm. he wrote <laughs> his father his father was really a eccentric i i remember like uh garvey's telling me the story where his father got really pissed off because garvey was kind of a slob and mm-hmm. he wouldn't you know clean anything up so one day he comes back and all his stuff in his room is gone his father <laughs> threw everything away <laughs> wow <laughs> You know, but, but anyway, um, so I, I, you know, I was kind of watching like, you know, how Garby would, would, would work. And and, and then, then you kind of think like, well, what, what is art really? You know, Mm -hmm. it's, um, and how it affects different people. And then, and of course, Dorian Gray is all about that too, about, you know, how uh, you can, you you put that, you can put a hidden side of yourself in this art, but you can't hide it. Eventually it's going to come out, you know, um, and also the religious aspect, because everything, you know, religion is just a story we tell, you know, mm-hmm. and when when people tell these stories, they go into different worlds. Mm-hmm. And that that goes, that's as far back as we probably went with the cave paintings were, you know, really what like what were because they don't really know why these, you know, these people would crawl into because they would have to crawl into caves with like real primitive light sure and paint these amazing pictures mm-hmm. on the wall and it had to be a religious thing to them they one theory is is that well they thought you know this this was like a womb of the earth mm-hmm. and they were painting these pictures and then you know the the things they were hunting would reappear you know right. so so it, it goes that far back and um i was always kind of fascinated with that and going into like you know, another world, um, uh, mm-hmm. when you, when you look at art, you know, and, um, you know, I, I mean, that's, that's what we, why do we like 
movies, gore movies. I mean, really, because we, we go into that world mm -hmm. in a way and, you know, and it's, but it's safe, but it's safe, it's right. threatening, but it's safe, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just thought, you know, it'd be interesting if, if, uh, if, if something would be so powerful, it would actually transport you into this world. But there's always a price because whoever the, the model is, she's getting eaten up. Right. By, you know? Um, so, well, and then you had the exploitation factor. I don't know if, uh, it was what you were going for, but the impression I got was, uh, kind of the exploitation of the artist <laughs> I was because right. here we have basically his agent who he says, you know, who uses his name to, to further his reputation because this artist is elusive and yet he's using this guy to only make stuff for him so he could go into this world to get the crap beat out of him only to be saved by an angel. And, right, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I just, I, I thought, were you kind of going for that statement as well? Maybe a little bit of the exploitation Oh, yeah, of definitely. Art? You know, yeah. How, how art is, uh, you know, like, you know, prostituted, you mm -hmm. know, uh, by, by people too. And uh, that was kind of weird because when we, we, when we were shot, I think it was like the first shot in the movie um, that you see. Mm-hmm. Where, and the guy's name is Leonard Purnell, who's playing right. the agent, right? Uh, you know, you know, Hall. I mean, obviously these names are, yeah, <laughs> he's getting a Hall, but, but um, the guy, it was supposed to be a fake fight, mm -hmm. and the guy accidentally hit him in the nose pretty, <laughs> pretty hard. And I, this might have been the first shooting day, and he was sure. going to quit. Yeah. But he got so pissed off, and it, it, it was just an accident, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, those little fun things. <laughs> and then, but then Leonard got, got into it. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, and all the people were, you know, in, 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 in Holly Folger, you know, who plays, uh, uh Gwendolyn, mm -hmm. uh, was a really good actress. And that, and that's sort of like why I, I was more interested in getting a good actress than having somebody that, you know, would take their clothes off or something. Right. I mean, sure. You know, um, so, Although I, I should mention this other big part of my life was, um, you know, we, we did this book called uh, Lurker in the Lobby, mm -hmm. as you can see. Yep. By the way, like I said, we're doing, we're going to be doing a podcast called Lurkers in the Lobby. It could be a video, sort of like what you're doing here. We've, uh, me and my, my co-writer, Andrew Migliori, we've uh, recorded about five of them now. Oh, nice. We just got to get them up and we, we've mm -hmm. interviewed, um, Mainly people like associated with Lovecraft because sure. you know he he's he was the originator of the H.P. Lovecraft Festival, again because of Eric Zahn and and mm -hmm. he had he had a website called Beyond Books and that's how I found out about him, and because um, he was reviewing Lovecraft movies because there's so many of them out there <laughs> there are yeah and um, so I said to him and so I sent him a copy of Eric Zahn he really liked it and I said well why don't you start a festival so we can show this stuff. <laughs> And 25 years later, it's still going. Sure. You know, it's just crazy. Um, but uh, but anyway, yeah, so, sorry, I'm kind no, of locked, my, my train went off the rails. No, here. that's quite all right. No, yeah. no worries. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's all, all interesting stuff, for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can see that, especially with your ending, I, I was glad that you mentioned Eraserhead, because uh, kind of the feeling I got with your your film was, it starts off Lynch and almost ends a little Cronenberg, yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. It, you know, with the uh, the the physical uh, 
the makeups in that uh, effects and what's happening to the people and the body horror as well, which was was a nice surprise too in there. Uh, how much? How long did it take for those prosthetic shots to be done? I mean, because you got yeah. See, and again, that was that was written for because uh, I knew I had Rod Matsui, mm-hmm. who was this. These guys are mad geniuses. These people who used to do this stuff. Sure, because. What else do you do with this stuff? You know, it's just like who who, who devotes <laughs> so much time to make these effects? You know, and they're they're real bizarre. But yeah, I mean, it did. You know, because I had to bring them up to San Francisco, and mm-hmm. um, uh, it, it, it was tough to do it. You know, and and you, the the actors, I think the actors kind of love it, but they got to go through that makeup process, which sure. is not fun with the boils and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, it didn't. I mean, it didn't take too long we mm-hmm. we had a problem um with uh because the whole idea was trying to get them to merge together sure, at the yeah. end of it and um we called it or rod called it the bacon face <laughs> you know? yeah. and it was all practical so it was like um he had to do it you know with fishing line oh know, nice. to, yeah. to move them and getting together and and um there was actually an article written about making this movie because one of the women on it uh, her name is Corey, uh, Senegal, Corey Senegal. I, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I can't remember her name now, but she, she wrote for, um, film threat. I don't know if you remember that. Magazine. Yeah. Oh yeah. I remember film threat, and, but they had, they had something called film threat video mm-hmm. <laughs> about make, you know, about video. So she wrote an article about it and I remember reading, it and <laughs> she was saying like, uh, and you know, the, the frustrated director, John Streisick keeps saying, you know, I, I, I can see the lines, Rod. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> Cause he kept seeing the, the string. Oh, sure. The string. Yeah. Yeah. Moving it. Uh, because it had to be lit pretty, pretty bright sure. know, to, to get it to work. Um, and, and Rod was just one of these real calm guys. You sure. know, the, he just, he just did it. But, um, but yeah, I mean that, that kind of stuff, you know, I mean, it's, Cause we, we also went through that with dark side cause we, mm-hmm. you know, we would occasionally have an effect, you know, that was, this was pretty tough to do. And, um, but I like those better. I mean, I like the practical effects, mm-hmm. you know, cooler than, because I don't know, the CG just becomes, no, there's no personality to it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, yeah. <laughs> All right. You can do everything. So, <laughs> so if, it, if you can do everything, then, it, then it's nothing in a way. You sure. know what I mean? It's like um, uh, it doesn't build up to it or it mm-hmm. doesn't have some kind of, I don't know, gravitas if that's, if you can actually call it that. <laughs> Maybe not, but, <laughs> you know. Well. The- uh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. So what I was trying to get at, sure. another big phase of my life was, um, again, because of this book, you know, mm-hmm. Dark Side, uh, t- Lurkers, uh, me and Andrew Migliori, we started interviewing a lot of uh, filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And of course, the grand poobah of Lovecraft movies is Stuart Gordon. Mm-hmm. And when I was in Chicago, I was a fan of Stuart's because he had this amazing theater called Organic Theater that did everything. I mean, it was just that they, they would go to, it would go from like this weird thing about, you know, uh, where called a laboratory mm-hmm. where people sat in cages in the audience because they were like lab rats and, <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> To doing stuff about, to doing a Ray Bradbury thing about, mm-hmm. um, you know, this this white soup, which they get made into a movie, you know, um, uh, what's it called? The Wonderful Ice Cream Soup. Right. You know, where these, these six uh, 
guys share the suit and it's kind of magical, you know, mm -hmm. uh, what happens to him. But, um, you know, but, but I always like, <laughs> I always like Stewart's uh, plays because he, he could always get a naked woman up there somehow. <laughs> Aside from the plays being cool, I mean, sure. you know, talk about the nudity part, but um, great. But but I didn't know him in Chicago at all. I mean, I I went to the plays and all that kind of stuff. So when we were out here writing the book, uh, we contacted him, you know, because he did all these Lovecraft movies, you know, like Reanimator from Beyond, uh, you know, uh, a Dagon was just happening, uh, right. you know, um, all this kind of stuff. So he was nice enough to he actually he, at the time he actually had a nice little. Um, uh, office at at Disney, you mm -hmm. know, because he was originally going to direct uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, okay. And uh, he just got ill and he couldn't oh. do it, uh, which is sad because I think it would have really changed his career, mm -hmm. you know, big time. Uh, he co-wrote it with uh, the guy who produced like Reanimator, uh, Brian Usna. Mm -hmm. Of course, the original title was uh, Teeny Weenies, <laughs> 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 which was an old time comic strip actually right uh, i mean look it isn't a huge original idea i mean mm -hmm. the incredible shrinking man is one of the best movies ever made you know and everything but but um so anyway met him so we went to his office and interviewed him and just and i did something you you should never do like to pitch a guy when you're interviewing him you shouldn't really do that <laughs> but i had this i had this script called uh deathbed that mm -hmm. i was kicking around with and um and my pitch was, hey, Stuart, I got this movie. It's about everything you can do in a bed. <laughs> <laughs> and that interested him. So he he read it and then gave me a call back and said, hey, I really like this. Let's let's talk. So that started us on a, I don't know, like maybe for 10 years or something. Um, mm -hmm. Because um, we, we eventually got Deathbed made, but he didn't, he produced it. He didn't direct it. it sure. Charlie Band. Uh, but then we were working on other projects. And... Um, one of them was uh, Stewart found this bizarre story that was true about this guy in uh, in Texas. He's a homeless guy, and he's like crossing a road, and this this healthcare worker hits him, and he gets stuck in her windshield. <laughs> and in that story, he actually dies and everything. Right? Yeah, he which does, is so yeah. bizarre. So we make so we I wrote the script, and it was called Stuck. Mm -hmm. And we had uh, Mina Savari as the woman, and uh, Stephen Ray. Uh, as the guy stuck in the windshield. Um, so from that, then we started writing some other stuff like, um, and we, and we got these things and unfortunately it's the last movie he ever made. The last feature yeah. was, was stuck back in two, we, I think we shot it in 2006, mm -hmm. something like that. And, uh, again, it got a ton of great reviews, but it just didn't get the right release. I mean, it got just, I mean, the, the, the place releasing it was going through all this like bankruptcy and, uh, mm. the, they were being sued and it got screwed, you know, but, um, but we, cause we're both, you know, kind of from Chicago. And uh, so I said to him, well, why don't we do something about HH H. Holmes? You mm -hmm. know, because he was always like, uh, you know, the, this legendary, evil, he was like the first serial killer, maybe, right. you know, and, and, and set during the 1893 world's fair and everything like that. So we wrote a bunch of versions of that script and then, then it got an option to be a mini series and we wrote like it's a big job it was like three 90 page scripts you know wow. for a three yeah. series but didn't get made mm. you know and, and that story is like 
I mean, every, because I have like a Google alert on H.H. Holmes. <laughs> sure. And every day something comes up about him. And um, because you got to remember, it, it, and our story was not, was not that. I mean, it wasn't, you know, there's a book called Devil in the White City. Right. And uh, that originally got optioned by Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. And Cruise would have been a perfect Holmes. I mean, he looked like him. You know, he was like that. And Holmes was a, this weird, charismatic kind of movie star guy who could seduce anybody, it seemed like. And uh, the latest thing that got optioned by uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, mm. supposedly Martin Scorsese was going to direct it. And that then that didn't happen. And, and then Hulu picked it up. And the latest thing I just read was like, um, you know, that what's his name? Robert Patterson. Yeah, Robert Patterson. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're talking about him playing Holmes, <laughs> which he'd be really good. He would. Know? Yeah. I, I mean, it it it's a great role for an actor. It's so mm-hmm. actory. And um, but when it got optioned, um, we had to keep rewriting it, you know, for the the, the place that optioned it. Sure. And it it got it got actually kind of goes back to the Lurk in the Lobby book too because. I never understood, we never can understand, why does somebody want to make a Lovecraft story and then change everything? What, what, what is <laughs> right. the point of that, you know? And the same with with H.H. H. Holmes. So mm-hmm. they kept changing it. And they wanted to put in, well, we need a big female character. Well, there isn't really a big female character. So you got to make that up. And then, well, why is he doing this? Well, I don't know why he's doing it. He basically <laughs> was doing it for money, you right. know? And, and, and he was making, and, and I guess he kind of got off on it, whatever. Um, so it, it's really, it's, it's sort of like, like, like what Lynch said when he did Dune, and I'm not trying to compare ourselves to Lynch in any respect, but mm-hmm. he was just saying like, you know, like, like he would say, it's a great sadness <laughs> <laughs> when you don't have control of what you're doing, you know, and, yeah. and, and that's, that's what this happened. So I got so sick. I, I, I was so ill because I love the story so much. Uh, I wrote a play called Villainy. Mm-hmm. and it was it was based uh and, and it got produced and, and that, that was another thing i've always wanted to do was write plays which is what i'm kind of doing now but um uh it was based on holmes because holmes wrote these two confessions mm-hmm. you know because he eventually got caught right? right so um his first confession his so-called confession was i didn't do any of this mm-hmm. people you say are dead they're still alive and i can prove it and i'm just being you know i'm the past patsy and all this kind of stuff and then when it's like totally, there's no way out because they're discovering the dead bodies and everything. Uh, so uh, William Randolph Hearst comes to him and offers him, in today's money, it would be about about $200,000 sure. to write the real story. And then he does a 180 and says, yeah, I killed all these people and here's how I did it. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes into these excruciating details about it, right? Yeah. So I, I took those two stories and and it's it's kind of an adapted them and so mm-hmm. uh, i use a lot of his words and um it's kind of set like in his his jail cell and he's kind of be visited by all these ghosts of his past you know um so that was a lot of fun to do and we we did it this is back in 2018 and um uh did it in sherman oaks mm-hmm. uh, around halloween you know oh nice and uh and unfortunately before the plague hit <laughs> Uh, it was supposed to get two, two other um, productions. You know, mm, one mm-hmm. one in Illinois, actually, um, uh, my old hometown, and, uh, and another one up in Seattle. Oh, then a third possible one up in Michigan too, nice. which is kind of interesting because that's where Holmes went to school. 
uh, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, you mm-hmm. know, which is, which I, how we, I, I was really hoping they would have done it because one of the things Holmes did was he, he was, um, he was really like a gilded age entrepreneur, you know, mm-hmm. like he loved Andrew Carnegie. Carnegie wrote this thing called the gospel of wealth, you know, and you know how to become rich. And that, right. that's, that was one of his things, but he would, he would take his victims and because he, he was a doctor, uh, he would, he would put them in lie and everything and get them down to their bones and then articulate the skeletons and then sell the skeletons to medical school. (laughs) (laughs) So, so first he would insure them for a lot of money. Sure. thousand dollars back then was quite a bit, get that money and then make another profit off their, literally off their bones. But I think some of them, could have been in Ann Arbor, Michigan that he did, because that's where he started doing this. He started sure. doing these insurance scams, you know? <laughs> you got to so, you you love know. the Midwest, uh, the, the, the birthplace of most of your most <laughs> crazy serial killers. Yeah. He, well, he was originally from New Hampshire. Right. right. You know, he, yeah. was, he was, he, he had so much energy. I mean, he, was, mm-hmm. he, he had three wives at the same time and he was, <laughs> he was moving around different families and at this, you know, Mm-hmm. killing off some and not and he never harmed his wives you know right. so his wives play a big part of his uh story uh in, in my play but um but no he's he's, he's just a fascinating character so Stu- the, i just wanted to mention Stuart because he was a he was a big part of um you know mm-hmm. my life out here and we had uh, but it was frustrating because you know you 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 make money getting things optioned mm-hmm. but it, it never gets made and and um in in an unmade script, a movie script is completely useless. I mean, nobody's ever. I mean, a play you could write, and maybe it doesn't get made in your lifetime, but maybe somebody might do it later. Sure, that ain't ever going to happen with a movie script. You know, um, very frustrating. And and Stewart, so he was a world famous mm-hmm. filmmaker, but something just happened, and you know, he, he never made another movie. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I could. I know some. I I haven't talked to many, but I know I, I've heard and read stories about some people just getting frustrated, as you said, with the Hollywood system of some of these people. They put their life's blood into the script. A studio will buy it, and it'll collect dust forever. But the studio bought it, so no one else could get it. Not that exactly. they're going to produce it, but th- they just know that no one else can get it. And then the writer can't do anything with it because they own it. <laughs> You know, I know some indie filmmakers, I know some indie filmmakers with distribution, uh, distributors of indie films that some of them, they're like, yeah, once I sign that film off, it is no longer mine. I can't do anything with it. I don't own it anymore. It is, they can do whatever they want to their film. And sometimes those films get altered uh, in in many ways, but it didn't seem like that happened with your, uh, with your films like spirit gallery and that, that Oh did... no, nobody. Yeah. That was, that was because it's so low a budget under the radar. So, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I, I'm just glad that it, that it got out here mm-hmm. or get, got out there after all these years. And, uh, the same thing I'm doing with my, my buddy Jay, uh, on this twisted lid stuff, because, um, these are really good films, you know, mm-hmm. and I just want to kind of preserve them. And, um, and, and I think people will enjoy them. We're doing a bunch of extras, you know. And, oh, nice. um, and again, that famous director, Mike Goy, you know, mm-hmm. shot both. He also shot Hunger Artists, so we did a commentary track. And uh, 
I'm doing little extras about, you know, about Kafka. And mm-hmm. it's really interesting about Kafka, actually. And I, I had forgotten about this where, because uh, it's, it's, it's called a hunger artist. Mm-hmm. And it's about a professional faster who, and I read it in high school and it just, it, it just summed up high school, you know, <laughs> just the insanity of high school, because it's like this, un, if he, if he attains his goal of fasting all the time, He's dead. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's this unachievable goal that's achievable, you know. And um, what I didn't realize at the time um, Kafka was writing it, he was starving to death. Oh. Because he had this uh, this this cancer in his throat mm-hmm. where he couldn't eat. So he's literally correcting the galleys of this story about a guy who's who starves to death while he's starving to death in a hospital. I mean, it's just... It's unbelievable, you know, and it's it's just a great story. Um, and it kind of it's interesting. To, it kind of goes back to Lynch, too, because I, I never realized he was such a Kafka fan. Mm-hmm. Did you see the return um, where, when, you know, when you know, the Twin Peaks return? Oh, uh, I did not know my uh, I have some friends who are really into Twin Peaks. I, I unfortunately never got much into it, but I, I know the yeah. show. Yeah. And the return. I know you should it. watch it, but anyway, you know, because he plays the uh, uh, the FBI director. Oh, okay, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, there's a scene where he's in his office, and there's a big picture of Kafka. Now, what would a picture of Kafka be <laughs> doing in an FBI director's office? You know, so whatever. <laughs> but apparently, he wanted to make um, the metamorphosis. You know, about the guy oh, yeah. turning into the bug. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and uh, you know, there's a rumor that he's supposed to be doing something for Netflix. Yeah, um, I, I remember. Know as much about it. I remember reading the uh, Metamorphosis short film, uh, story in uh, high school or college, and it, it was just wild. I loved it, but it was yeah. it was really like, yeah, that's some that that took some. You know, there were some things involved in in the creation of that oh, story. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, there there's also a really good uh, adaptation, a short short film adaptation that I saw at the Chicago Film Festival, mm-hmm. and um, back in this. I don't know, late seventies. And it's a lot of it's from the bugs point of view. Oh, nice. I don't know how they did it back then, but it was like, so he's like, you know, so the families are trying to hit it with a broom and, (laughs) and you're, it's from his point of view. So he's going Mm -hmm. underneath table, you know, tables and under the bed. And then at one point he's like crawling up the wall, knocking pictures off, (laughs) hitting with brooms, you know, (laughs) It's really good. It's, I I don't know what happened to that film, you know, but uh, worth a look. Well, that's a that's that's a prime example of of the earlier filmmaking and practical effects in that, and having to get f- a lot more creative in some respects, you know, like you did with Spirit Gallery and and all these other shot on video artists. People don't realize they're sh- you're shooting this on micro budget. These are just people who love doing this. And it's all yeah. practical. You don't have that camera. As Tony and I were talking about, you didn't have that camera in your back pocket. Good luck feeding no. a, a VHS. I've got a VHS camera, actually. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I still have one, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, good luck fitting that in your pocket. But um, that's why I, I fell in. I, I kind of fell in love with some of these films, because you look at what you did with so little, for lack of a better term, and it's just it's just amazing. You know when, well, when and, you... and, and there's they're just so they were just so tough to edit back then mm-hmm. because uh, you didn't have these computerized nonlinear yeah. systems you know and like I said we 
And we did that. And I, I, I cut her with a guy named Sam Oldham. And I, again, another guy that I knew from easy TV and all these people were very talented, you mm-hmm. know, and, um, but it was just a nightmare. We would spend all night in this tiny room. And, um, you know, I, I had to keep Sam going by, he was into like, like this hideous liquor called apricot brandy. I mean, I don't know how he drank it, but it kept him going, you know? Sure. And, um, and we, we just, we couldn't go back. So if we had to go back, then you had to make a copy of it and then right. put it on there. Yep. And you didn't want to do too many generations and, mm-hmm. you know, and then, then finally we kind of like online it by ourselves too, sure. you know, recutting it. And then, um, um, but then, you know, actually I did, strangely enough, I did a, I did the online part of it, uh, because of a guy, I think I was working on, on, uh, Land of the Lost at the time mm-hmm. and they were finishing their shows at, at the studio doing the online thing. And, um, I forget the guy's name. His name is, uh, his name was Bowie Cober and Bowie was <laughs> how all these things relate. He was the editor for Frank Zappa. Oh, because <laughs> because Frank Zappa, speaking of video, he had sure. this uh, this video company. Uh, what's it called? It was it had something to do with his nose or something. <laughs> uh, I don't know, something like, mm-hmm. you know, a schnoz video or, sure. or something. And, and Bowie was his editor, you know, and Frank Zappa was one of my heroes, absolute mm-hmm. heroes. Um, and I remember we were just doing like um doing a session there and then Zappa called them and they were talking about some kind of project. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I said, could you ask him, would you like to be interviewed? Cause I was like, cause sure. another thing I did, I, I used to write articles for, um, you know, for, you know, like, well, amazing stories mm-hmm. or came back and, uh, but I did like the interview parts of it and like, right. uh, you know, talking to people like Guillermo del Toro and Ray Bradbury and stuff like that. And we did reviews. Um, and then I then I wrote actually I did write a thing for a film thread video about uh, mm-hmm. um, you know uh, Zappa's uh, video stuff, um, but <laughs> how things work out too because uh, you know I was like into playing tennis out mm-hmm. here a little bit and was playing with a bunch of old guys right you know so um, one of the guys that showed up was Don Preston who was Frank Zappa's keyboard guy. <laughs> Who was Uncle Meat, and you know, on, on the you know he he was the early in the part of the early mothers of invention, mm-hmm. but Zappa was was always trying to make movies, and uh, he was trying to make this movie called Uncle Meat mm-hmm. <laughs> about this mad scientist, and I don't know what the hell you know bile foamy <laughs> liquids. Um, oh, that was the name of his company, Honker. Honker, <laughs> or no, yeah, Honker. Honker yeah. Video was called. Yeah. So I got to be friends with. Um, you know, with Don mm-hmm. and, uh, and Don did a lot of, you know, he's, he's done a lot of like, um, uh, movie scores, mm-hmm. you know, um, cause he's a really good composer, obviously. Um, so anyway, that was another, like, you know, like a little weird, you know, I don't know. Like everything's related somehow, you know, <laughs> just in a weird way. Uh, well, you know, I, I think that's interesting, uh, very interesting, because a lot of people, I think, don't realize how uh, people who are known names now, you know, uh, ended up just meeting each other by chance. Like you, you know, you were able to, to just 
end up meeting these oh, that's, people that's through people, yeah. you know, uh, you know, some of it through networking and then some of it through chance. <laughs> a lot chance, of it's through chance, really. You know, you know. And, and, and it's being in the right place at the right time for mm-hmm. a, a lot of these big stars. And, you know, because who, that, that, that's always amazed me how some people can become superstars and, you know, they're good actors and everything, but we would make, you know, we would have like, uh, you know, auditions where you're paying like people like $50 a day. Mm-hmm. And the amount of talent was just incredible for actors, you know, and, and they're all trying to, you know, get on, you know, get reels and mm-hmm. get into, get in the business and stuff, but it's, it's so difficult. Um, but they, but they were definitely as good as anybody out there, you know, I mean, uh, but, but it's all a matter of being in the right place at the right time, luck sure. and all that kind of crap. You know, so, <laughs> I mean, really you know, is what it comes down to. The, um, the Hollywood game, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, um, I remember, oh, I did another show called, uh, Monsters. Yeah. My, my wife loves Monsters. Yeah, yeah, I did. I only did one. I mean, they, they wanted me to do more, but at that point, mm-hmm. I was like getting sick, kind of sick of these shows. But but the one <laughs> sure. I did was, uh, it had, um, it was kind of it's kind of a weird show. It's called Shave and a Haircut, Two Bites, mm-hmm. about these uh, barbers who are actually kind of vampires. But it it had Will Wheaton in it. Nice. Right? Yeah. And, and and it was fun because you know I knew him from uh, you know Star Trek and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. But um, the guy who played his, usually what what they what what these low budget shows would do, you would have a one name kind mm-hmm. of name actor, right? Then everything else you would have to audition for, right? You know? But on this one, his his buddy that was in the show, they said, "No, we we we're really lucky to get this guy." And I had never heard of him, and uh, I'm forgetting his name now. But he's the guy from Friends. Oh, Matt LeBlanc. Yeah, Matt LeBlanc. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and. Um, and I'm going like, who's this guy? I mean, he was he was fine, <laughs> sure. But usually you would like have to audition, and and Matt was just on, and I think this was before Friends and all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. And he was just on this, he was just on this path, you know. That yeah. somebody, you know, he he got the right agent, he got mm-hmm. the right manager, he had the right look, I guess, sure. and um, he just kind of took off, you know. And uh, it goes back to like what you're saying, like you know. Uh, you know why? Why do some of these people make it, and why? Why they don't? You know, it's a yeah. And he was good in the episode and everything, but I I could never understand <laughs> who was this guy. <laughs> you know, how did he get this? Because usually it was like it, it it was a good break for people. You know, mm-hmm. to to get these to get these parts. You know. Um, yeah. I mean, the other the other guy I worked with that that was fun was mm-hmm. uh, on Dark Side was Robert Forrester. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah, that was it. And that was one of my, that's probably my favorite episode. It's mm-hmm. called um, uh, The Milkman Cometh. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, I think I remember that episode. Yeah. <laughs> but it also had a great actor, Seymour Cassell, who mm-hmm. was this great independent. I, I couldn't believe these two incredible talents, you know, in in this thing. And, um, but that was, that, that gave me a shock because uh, Forrester, actually he's from Chicago too, but, you know, and he was in that Haskell Wexler uh, mm-hmm. thing, uh, medium cool, and but um, he he was he was a real dedicated or dedicated actor, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of times when you would do these shows, you wouldn't even meet the actor until you were shooting. Sure. You know? So hi, how you doing? Let's go. <laughs> you know? And um, 
but some actors wanted to re- actually rehearse you know, before you actually <laughs> shot. Sure. And and Forrester was one of those guys, and um, the woman playing his wife was his girlfriend or something. Mm-hmm. So we we kind of met, I think, at her apartment or his. I can't remember now. But we actually had a big rehearsal. We went through the entire show, and even to the point of blocking it. Right? Oh, nice. Yeah. So when we got on the set, it was a little easier. So, uh, but. We did this one scene and it was in a kitchen or something. And so I said to him, okay, so you start here, then you walk here and we put the camera here and he, and he kind of goes, no, that's not how we did it in front of everybody. I'm going, oh, fuck what? You know? And I said, but Bob, don't you remember we talked about this? And and then he kind of went and he says, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. (laughs) So it was big of him to do that. Yeah. To apologize in front of everybody. (laughs) But it's funny. I, I didn't really, I didn't realize he was that famous among the filmmakers, you know, mm-hmm. out here. Um, and again, it, it goes like he, he uh, David Lynch was mm-hmm. a big fan of his. Um, he was actually, he was supposed to be the original sheriff in Twin Peaks. Oh, okay. But he couldn't do it. And so sure. he, he's in Mulholland Drive for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, then he's, he, he was, he was brought back for the return. You know, he's in that too. But unfortunately, by the by the time he's doing the return, I, I think he was kind of ill. Right. And he was just kind of, he didn't have the energy. You know, mm-hmm. he was just kind of sitting there and, you know, uh, but, but you know, it was great to see him do it, you know. The, as a director doing those shows, you get the, you, as you mentioned, the name, and then you had the auditions for the other folks. Was it a little bit easier with, with, the more experienced actors or winner doing a show. I mean, cause you had only four days to do it. So you didn't have a whole lot of time either yeah. for extra takes. I imagine. <laughs> no, you would, you would get maybe, if you, you know, I mean, you talk about like, like Kubrick doing a hundred takes, maybe if we did like three or four, that sure. was a lot, you know, really. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I mean, all the actors were professional, right. You know, uh, I was always fascinated because I had to I had to do some episodes with with kids in them, mm-hmm. and they were always the best. I mean, they, <laughs> it was just amazing because you know adult actors like you know you would do a master shot and mm-hmm. they they couldn't remember where their hands were or what they were doing when you go into the close ups, but the kids would know like they, they would turn on a line and look this way and it was just always perfect, you know. Um, but no, it it, it uh, everybody they that's the one thing they spent they spent on two things they 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 spent they were w it was non-dga which right. was really terrible because I, I made no residuals on that sure thing. but the they they got wga scripts a lot of them came remember twilight zone magazine mm-hmm. i actually have a whole run of that magazine they got a lot of stories from that and um and then they were they were obviously sad right you know so they were all real professional actors and the guy who produced it out here, uh, his state, his name is TJ Castronova. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, he was an actor. So he, when it came to the secondary parts, he knew all these old actors and, <laughs> and but we got to like, um, I got to work with some pretty good actors, like, you know, like Robert Forrester. Mm-hmm. And then remember, I told you about that thing called, uh, uh you know, a new lease on life where the right. apartment building is eating people. Well, the landlady was Marie Windsor, mm-hmm. who's real famous. I mean, she goes back with Stanley Kubrick. You know, she was in one of his early films, and she was like, you know, Catwoman on the Moon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and uh, 
I mean, she sort of she was like sort of like this legendary, uh, mm -hmm. you know, actress, you know, and and she was just terrific. In fact, I think I think she was another one. You know, the older mm -hmm. actors would would they would want to rehearse. They would mm -hmm. you know we'd go over their house or whatever and just run through it, you know, because they they wanted to do a good job and they knew it was going to be sure. real quick, and that helps a lot, you mm -hmm. know, um, because then you can. But the majority was like you would just meet the people on the day you shot. <laughs> sure. You know, you know it's kind of ridiculous. Uh, well, uh, you seem to have dabbled in in many things, and and yeah, you, you've touched you touched a lot of things. I mean, you've mentioned you know plays, uh, you know movies, TVs. You you've really uh, run the gambit of items, and now you've got your book. Uh, uh, you want to tell uh, my listeners a little bit more about your book with uh, what's in it possibly and, and what it's uh, well the book the book is uh it, it's it's old <laughs> actually it's, oh, it was written okay. in 2006 oh okay and uh like i said it was mm -hmm. uh it was written with uh, andrew migliori mm -hmm. um and it kind of started the uh it was it was after the film festival got started and we thought well we could do some reviews and do a right. lot of interviews but there were so, always so many uh, more movies. Lovecraft is an interesting character. I, I don't know if there's so many. I, I guess maybe Stephen King's like this too, where, but I've never really heard of it. I mean, where he's there's so many people obsessed with making short films from his stories. Right. You know, I mean, they're all in public domain, but mm -hmm. it's just incredible. This has this has been going on for 25 years. <laughs> And they always have a flock of movies and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they put out DVDs, you know, based on it. And uh, it's, it's just kind of amazing. I, I don't know what he inspires in people to do this. I mean, he, he did it to me with Eric Zahn and everything. Sure. And um, so anyway, we were always talking about, you know, writing another edition. But uh, that's sort of why we want to do this, uh, you know, this this podcast. We're just calling it, it's a podcast, you know, video cast uh, right. called Lurkers in the Lobby, which... I sent you that little intro mm -hmm. thing if yep. you want to show it. But um, um, that's probably going to be up uh, maybe this month. But we've, we, we you know, it, it's it's me and Andrew because we've, we've always had fun just talking to each other and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of reviewing. Because what we like to do is a re, like, like um, for example, Charles Dexter, the case of Charles Dexter Ward. Mm -hmm. That's the first professional adaptation. That was Haunted Palace by Roger Corman. Mm, yeah. Then... Uh, and Dan O'Bannon did a version called The Resurrected. <laughs> it's a funny story <laughs> because uh, O'Bannon, um, we were writing the book. We wanted to interview him, mm -hmm. you know, and he was a real eccentric. And uh, he said, uh, yeah, sure, come on over. And he, and he lived in Santa Monica. And um, so we, we go over to his house and his wife answers the door. And we're just these two weirdos, yeah. you know, on the doorstep. And we said, uh, yeah, we're here to interview Dan. Did he tell you anything about it? Did he tell you? And, yeah. and she said, no, he didn't mention a word. Come on in. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, okay. Nice. <laughs> and um, I, I, know, I know there were stories about him. Uh, mm -hmm. Like he was, he was obsessed with Christmas. Mm -hmm. He didn't want Christmas to end. So he would always have Christmas decorations in his house. And like, but he would crank the air conditioner to like 60 below zero or whatever. <laughs> so it was always cold, you mm -hmm. know, freezing in his house, you know, and, uh, uh, but he was a really nice guy and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, super intelligent and a big Lovecraft fan. I mean, alien, like he says, alien is a Lovecraft movie. Right. Him. 
you know, it's it's a movie set on on that that world that Lovecraft created called Yuggoth mm-hmm. to him, you know, which was actually Pluto. Right. <laughs> when it, but um but yeah, but he showed us like uh the the um he had a work print of the original version of the film. A lot oh, of stuff nice. were, were cut out. It was, sure. it was it was produced by the Scotty brothers. Um so that was fun. But he had he wanted to make more Lovecraft movies. Mm-hmm. He wanted to do um you know, color out of space and Oh uh, sure, yeah. Uh and everybody wants to do, you know, like Mountains of Madness, which would be a great movie. I mean Guillermo del Toro was right. gonna make a, a huge movie about that. And he he got to the point where, you know, because it's set in the Antarctic, mm-hmm. you know, they find this alien civilization, et cetera, et cetera. So he was actually scouting he, they were gonna use Alaska for Antarctica, right? So sure. he tells a story where he's in a helicopter <laughs> looking at this location and gets a, a, a phone call saying like, okay, Guillermo, it's off. <laughs> oh, you don't have the money. Oh, just telling, I had to go back, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he's in the book too. And then, you know, Hellboy uh, mm-hmm. by Mike Mignola um, has a lot of Lovecraftian sure. references to it, you know, yeah. But he's still, I don't know. I mean, you would think you could get that made now that he won the goddamn Academy Award and everything. So. <laughs> he might, I mean, yeah, I would have thought so too. I mean, uh, especially Guillermo. I mean, I love his style. It, it's definitely, you can see influences from many, including Lovecraft, in, in oh, stuff yeah. he does. I mean, you know, I, I've loved all of his work uh, and it just visually different. Um, and yeah, you're right. I mean, H.P. Lovecraft really, in some way, shape, or form, has influenced so much sci-fi and fantasy. I mean, I, I recently got done playing a role-playing game called Call of Cthulhu, which was completely yeah. set in H.P. Yeah. Lovecraft. And I don't know if you, you watched it uh, at all recently, but I totally... I mean, I enjoyed it, but I enjoyed it even more under underwater, the, the Kristen Stewart uh, film... Uh, underwater. Uh, I've seen that. No. It's a sci-fi film that, uh, if you like love, <laughs> Lovecraft, a little bit of spoiler, you should watch it. It's it's it's. I mean, it, it's the way it's cut and everything. It's made to be more of a mainstream, but the ending just was like unexpected, and it's it's something that if you watch it, you're just like, they went some, they go somewhere where you don't expect for a film like it, and. It was really amazing, and then you have to uh, watch that, yeah. and then uh, Nick Cage, Color Out of Space. I mean, HP, yeah, all yeah, yeah. that. We're, we're, we're actually going to interview uh, Stanley. Oh, are you? That. Yeah, because yeah. the thing is, uh, because of the Lovecraft Film Festival, they have access to all these people. Oh, sure, um, sure. In fact, we're doing one on. Uh, have you ever heard of a movie called uh, The Empty Man? I don't think so. No, it, it's kind of sad. Uh, this this guy named David Pryor. Mm-hmm. did it and it's very lovecraft he's a big lovecraft mm-hmm. guy and he did a short film well his his day job was making um you know working on high budget uh dvds you know for extra you know, doing sure, documentaries yeah. like captain phillips or, or whatever you know and um he made a short film called uh am 1200 which is set in um like an am a radio station mm-hmm. that's very lovecraftian so anyway, he he got he finally got this movie called Empty Man made, and uh, the basic story, it get, it gets pretty Lovecraftian because it goes between dimensions and sure because you know, Lovecraft wrote this famous 
thing in, in the Necronomicon, like, not, you know, not in the spaces we know, but between them, right. you know, which is a great line. And it's kind of based on that, but it's like the, the I guess it's like the Slender Man and, and kind of thing, but because his thing was like, um, if you're on a bridge at night and you find an empty bottle and you blow in the bottle, <laughs> the empty man appears. Sure. But first, but first you hear him and the next mm-hmm. day you see him. And then the third day he sees you and then it gets bad. (laughs) But it was going to be released last year, Mm -hmm. the plague year for Halloween. And of course it kind of didn't, you know, so it just got shoved aside, you know, and, uh, but you can, you can watch it online. You should watch it. Uh, It's, it's really good. So we're, I think we're going to do an interview with him coming up. Um, But again, yeah, there, there's a, do you know a writer named uh, Fritz Lieber? I've heard the name. Yeah, he's done a lot of, you know, he was a big sci-fi writer. But again, mm-hmm. uh, he, because Lovecraft influenced so many writers, you know, from Robert Block, you know, uh, right. who did Psycho and, you know, uh, you know, Chris Ar- August Derleth and, but Fritz Lieber was part of that group too. But he wrote an essay about him called, um, he, that he was a literary Copernicus, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and he said like, because how Copernicus, you know, he, he shifted you know the the existence from earth to the sun and we revolve around the sun not not everything's revolving around the earth uh lovecraft did the same in literature for horror mm-hmm. where you know because before lovecraft it was the horror was like you know vampires right. and werewolves and ghosts and he shifted it in, into this cosmic realm so it was it was this weird it wasn't exactly sci-fi it wasn't exactly fantasy but it was all of that you know mm-hmm. so he's he's basically the originator of cosmic horror which yeah. everybody you know all all these filmmakers love <laughs> i mean guillermo's a, a big example of that because he goes on and on about cosmic horror and uh, versus body horror right you know, and that kind of thing but the thing is cosmic horror is very hard to show because a lot right. of it's in your head uh you know you know alan moore you know mm-hmm. the famous oh, yeah. comic book yeah. writer so he did a whole series, and he's a huge Lovecraft mm-hmm. fan, and he did a whole series uh, called Providence. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea is sort of like, um, there's this guy named, kind of he's kind of based on Robert Block, but he's called Robert Black. Mm-hmm. And he's doing research uh, of, of American folklore, and he's running into the places that, that Lovecraft fantasized, you know, like, mm-hmm. so Salem became sure. Arkham and that kind of stuff. But he's running into all his stories and he's keeping a a, a book about him like a, a diary because he wants to write a you know a novel about american mm-hmm. folk, folklore and he gets in all the and every story is like you know one of them is like pigman's model another one's like charles dexter ward and he uh, eventually meets lovecraft and gives him the book so the idea is like lovecraft got all his stories from reality <laughs> <laughs> that this guy wrote down and he eventually commits suicide yeah but the funny thing about that book too is um one of the guys I met, well, actually, that I forgot that story, is like after I did Eric Zahn, um, I wanted to show it in Providence, you know. Mm-hmm. So not knowing anybody, uh, I just went out there. And um, and there's, um, I mean, like if, if you read like Charles Dexter Ward and stuff, I mean, it's almost like a guidebook to Providence because mm-hmm. he has addresses and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of walking around in Charles Dexter Ward's mansion. And, you know, sure. and of course, the big thing is Brown University. Mm-hmm. So I went to Brown. It's like something out of a story. 
uh, I said, you know, I, so I had the film with me. I said, hi, do you think anybody would be interested in watching this Lovecraft movie I made? And they go, well, there's this guy in the basement. You might want to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> so I go into the basement and I see this guy hunched over this box of Lovecraft letters and looking at them. And, and it's S.T. Joshi. And S.T. Joshi is like world famous Lovecraft scholar. He's, mm -hmm. he's the number one guy. And in fact, he appears in Providence as a comic book character. So that's another guy we interviewed, St. And St. is just an amazing. He knows everything about Lovecraft, and I sure. and, and 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 you know, and he he pulls out this old rickety sixty millimeter projector, and we watch it, and he's like, he's like mesmerizing. He goes, "This is fantastic. I've never seen it." You know, <laughs> you know? And, and so we go. There was like a horror thing in Boston. We go down there, and mm -hmm. they show it. So I got to meet like this little Lovecraft circle nice. that was happening at the time, and and they were putting out this book called Lovecraft Studies, and. Mm -hmm. uh, you know this thing about uh you know like cthulhu and um so yeah so it got you know so that that, that was another you know uh, branch mm -hmm. that kind of blossomed into the festival and, and everything <laughs> and and, just, and 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 it was like the lovecraft thing is too it's like all these they're they're just so friendly you mm -hmm. know and unpretentious and um which is sort of how lovecraft was you know he was he was very generous of his time and I mean, there was a there, there was like this big controversy about his his racial attitudes, mm -hmm. which were terrible. I mean, but it it, it wasn't the whole person, you mm -hmm. know. I mean, it was. I, I mean, you know, I it, it gets ridiculous after a while because they're talking, they're, you know, like in San Francisco, they're taking Abraham Lincoln's name, right, off schools, because was he a white supremacist? I mean, probably, but that's. He ended slavery, you know, <laughs> which is yeah. the, one of the major slavery and, 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 you know, the killing of the Native Americans. Those are two extreme sins that started this whole damn country, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and all our politicians. Anyway, this, this is not a movie thing. But, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> although, you know, there, there's been a lot of great movies made about it, too. So, mm -hmm. uh, but, but Lovecraft did have that. Uh, attitude but in Lovecraft's case he he took because he you know he he thought he was always he was dirt poor I mean mm -hmm. he grew up wealthy and then his grandfather died who had all the money and then they got real you know real poor and uh so he was always struggling and I and I think that was just his you know his fear of the other right you know and and but he put that fear into his work you know, and that's why we have all these great stories, you know, because of it, I think. Um, God, Andrew, my co-writer was telling me he uh, he did a, a thing uh, they, about a sale of one of like one of Lovecraft's type manuscripts. Mm -hmm. And it sold for like uh, $30,000, which is more money than he made in his life. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think he made anywhere near that, you mm -hmm. know, so uh, writing. Um but you know that's just fate. Yeah. But he, but he's 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 an eternal guy. You know, mm -hmm. he, he's always going to be an evergreen, and people are always going to be a because he's such a great writer. And and one thing that Alan Moore said, um, one of the great things about Lovecraft is like he would, when he's like trying to describe Cthulhu, what he he says, you know, like it's, you know, he tells you everything that it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And so suddenly you got to put together in your head, well, what is this thing? Mm -hmm. Or, or even the color, the color and color out of space. And he goes, uh, 
there's a line like, um, you could call it a color, but it's not really a color at all. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like an, an analogy of a color. Well, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> so then you, so then when you get like, and w- which was Lovecraft's favorite story actually that he, that he wrote. So when you get Stanley doing color out of space, you got to show the color somehow, right? right? <laughs> you need and, a color. You call it color. Th- yeah. There's no way, which by the way, that movie is a throwback to the eighties, you know, with mm-hmm. the body. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Stuff. But there's no way you can, you can show the color because it doesn't, it's not a color. <laughs> what is it? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's just fascinating to see influences like that from his work still today. I mean, I even remember in the nineties, I watched a film called Cast a Deadly Spell with Fred Ward. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a great movie. That, yeah, that TV thing, yeah. That's yeah. a wonderful movie. I, I love that, yeah. There was just this HBO, I think it was HBO or whatever. It's just yeah. a, a movie, and they had a great cast, and it was just so interesting and weird. And at the time when I watched it, because I was younger, I didn't realize too much that it was actually H.P. Lovecraft. And then... We revi- revisited a few years ago for the podcast. I'm watching this going, wow. I'm like catching yeah, yeah. all the references in that that I missed when I was younger. You know, the the names of things and not just the creatures in that. And No, it's it, it's very faithful to Lovecraft. You know, yeah. Necronomicon and everything. And, uh, you know. and it's well done. And it's got that, you know, that noir kind of mm-hmm. detective story going on too, so. Which which I love noir especially so, uh, it's another uh, favorite genre of mine. I really enjoy it. So yeah. bringing yeah. bringing fantasy and noir together is always a good combination for me. So, uh, oh, that was a good show. It yeah. was. Well, I thank you very much for doing this tonight. This was very. Inf- uh, I learned a lot. This has been a great oh, cool. conversation. Uh, yeah. very interesting for sure and uh what's the name of the podcast again and and you said well, it should we're just be calling episode? it lurkers in the lobby okay as opposed to lurker because we're going to have you know guests sure and, um mm-hmm. so that should be up hopefully soon um and uh you know it's it's just a continuation of the book in a way sure. and we talk about the stories and uh you know it's 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 fun you know mm-hmm. it's, it's not meant to be real serious um but we're going to do a lot of Again, because of the festival, we I think we can get a lot of people to be interviewed. Sure. You know, too, and um, we're trying to because we we interviewed like like a, like Roger Corman, you know, mm-hmm. for the book. Like to get him, but he's up there. He's like in his nineties now. Sure. You know, uh, kind of probably his last kind of interview. But um, but yeah, I would say you know, you know, watch Empty Man. I mean, that mm-hmm. was, it was a compelling story, and it was a fairly it looked like a fairly big budget movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because it it's 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 set it, the opening's like in Tibet and oh, I'm sure. not I don't know if that's fake or not but <laughs> boy it's, it's, it looks really good you know um, and uh, it's a it's a compelling story I mean mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't have like uh, any big stars except for the guy there there there's one thing called um, the Pontifex mm-hmm. and it, it's it's like this cult but it's sort of like based on Scientology you know oh okay. And uh, the guy who was the head of that, um, uh, he was like that, that the weird guy in Office Space, and he was oh, also sure. like in, in mm-hmm. uh, uh, Brother Where Art Thou. You know, he was like the blind, oh yeah, radio station mm-hmm. guy. I forget his name, but he's excellent. You know, he and, and, awesome. and talking all this weird kind of gobbledygook, <laughs> kind of Lovecraftian sure. stuff. You know? 
Um, but it's worth a look, and you can you can you can rent it online. I think well, I will definitely check that out. And uh, you said you've got... oh, and and, it's, and and also my friend Jay's movie, Asylum of Darkness. Oh, okay. You'll like this. This is like uh, it's 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 one of his best movies. I think it's his last movie so far. Mm-hmm. But okay, that's Jay. Jay's also a composer, so sure. he writes writes the music for it. But that that's worth checking. And that's on. Uh, that's on Amazon right now. You can look at it. So, and you said you're putting together a uh, uh, those three uh, movies yeah, into called, one. Twisted Lit. Mm-hmm. It's uh, uh, three short stories. Uh, you know, mine hunger artist, and he's doing the birthmark, and uh, he. Um, so, uh, hopefully, that'll be out in a few months. You know, we're just sure kind of taking because we're getting new transfer we're getting you know uh, mm-hmm. we're getting 2k transfers of these all 16 millimeter nice films and we're lucky that the that the element still exists sort of <laughs> sure. kind of like you know there's that whole that that, that thing called vinegar vinegar syndrome yep yeah start to smell in fact there's a there's a company, company called, called that syndrome. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. who uh, so dis- they're barely they're barely existing but <laughs> going digital <laughs> well but yeah no thanks and i enjoyed your i was watching your interviews with uh about the apple oh yeah yeah that bizarre movie mm-hmm. i guess you're kind of obsessed with it <laughs> <laughs> not, not too much but i i was fascinated for quite a bit yes uh with it i i like unusual films um yeah you know unusual. and and that's why i I was very happy for this opportunity and so glad you took the time out because seeing the spirit gallery is one of those films that's up my alley. I, I like watching different films, artists that take chances because we get so much, especially nowadays, so much of the same that, you know, I'm looking for something different that uh, will just at least make me think if nothing else. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, it's entertaining. So yeah, you can still get it. SOV horror. I mean, there it's out go. there. So fantastic. Uh, do you have a website or something where people can keep track? Um, of you not, or? not really. I mean, we'll have one for lurkers. I'll, I'll okay. send you the link. What's that's up. Okay, you know, great. Maybe, yeah. Maybe we can kind of cross fertilize our audiences. Cause yeah. we'll have, we'll have the Lovecraft uh, festival audience. We got a big mm-hmm. kind of mailing list with that, with that. So Awesome. Well, that should you, do pretty well. And uh, yeah, when you send me that link, I'll add it to the web, the web page for the the podcast here. So uh, sounds great. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you very much, sir, and I, I hope you have an excellent rest of your evening. And let's have a good rest of the year, hopefully. Yeah. Let's let's hope <laughs> things go better. Yeah. So uh, you could you know productions can get flowing again. And uh, hey, uh, I, I moving, just like to go so. to a restaurant. <laughs> In a bookstore. Sure. Again, I'd be happy. You know, I ask you for much. You know. <laughs> Excellent. But, uh, I shall never permit anything bearing my signature to be banalized and vulgarized into the flat infantile twaddle which passes for horror tales amongst radio and cinema audiences. Yours most cordially and sincerely, H.P. Lovecraft. So, how did that work out? Join Andrew Migliori and John Streisick, co-authors of Lurker in the Lobby, A Guide to the Cinema of H.P. Lovecraft, as they and their guests look at the many cinematically banalized and vulgarized Lovecraft tales, in particular, and cosmic horror, in general, in a strange eon cephalopod podcast called Lurkers in the Lobby, describing the indescribable since 2021.